Welcome, everyone, to our latest edition of BAMS Radio. I'm your host, Judy Arman, along with my usual two cohorts, my co-hosts. Of course, one is the producer of this show in the port city of Mobile. Does a great job. That's why we call him the wizard. He keeps everything rolling. Thomas Watts. And, of course, from 89 to 93, a 1992 national champion and someone that keeps his ear very close to the ground when it comes to Alabama football. And that is William Redfish Barger. Gentlemen, it's been a while since we wrapped it up. I guess our last show was, uh, you know, the National Signing Day situation uh, in February. We talked a little recruiting and wrapped up the recruiting class. Uh, but we haven't, uh, you know, spent much time uh, or much at all until today on spring practice. Alabama about halfway through spring drills uh, as Nick Saban heads toward the 2000. Uh, and 22 season, Alabama with a lot of expectations, but, uh, you know, not a ton of uh, intel leaking out. We do have some for our listeners, but William, it, it seems like a little bit of a tighter ship this year. It's always a tight ship with Nick Saban, but uh, information has been a little harder to come by. Oh, no, it has, and, and certainly with the, you know, the media not being allowed to even view the position groupings that they get into prior to stretching it makes it even more difficult to try and figure the depth chart out but you know I think some of the stuff that has come out is, is certainly positive um, in my opinion it sounds like Saban you know already really likes the chemistry in the locker room and and seems to be some leadership stepping forward which you know he was still begging for at the end of last season so I think that's an improvement right there but um, you know, lots of young guys. I, I think, you know, the way it looks right now, um, you know, all three of the transfer players are, you know, going to be in a prominent role, most of them starting. Um, you know, be interested to see if Gibbs is, is the first back off the off the, the bench or, you know, if he does get that starting nod. Um, but, you know, Burton certainly factoring in and Ricks, and then I guess we find out tomorrow about the, Bandy offensive tackle transfer, Tyler Steen is supposed to, uh, you know, announce where he's headed. But uh, it's, it's been a pretty quiet spring. I mean, uh, no significant injuries. Um, you know, I think for what it was yesterday, they had a productive scrimmage, um, you know, which makes it a lot easier when uh, Will Anderson's taking the day off and standing over there with Saban for the offense. Yeah, no doubt. And I'll say this. I've, I, I've, you probably may you may have seen the highlights they released today, William. It's only about a minute and thirty seconds that Alabama showed at the scrimmage, but it kind of dovetailed into what I'd been hearing yesterday, and that was and really since he got there for bowl prep, and you mentioned him, Jameer Gibbs, he's been supremely impressive. Uh, I know Nick Saban has spoken glowingly of him, uh, and that is unusual when a guy hasn't even played it down for Alabama, but. It looks like he's going to be a perfect fit for this football team uh, with his ability to, to uh, catch, to run, block. I mean, he had 2,000 all-purpose yards for in two years at Georgia Tech for some bad football teams, and he's going to be surrounded by some really good players. Jason McClellan, Roy Dell Williams coming back from ACLs. Trey Sanders still healthy. Jamarian Miller enrolled early. Uh, we know that. And uh, Emmanuel Henderson won't be there uh, until the fall, but Still, it should be a loaded running back room, and uh, I'm already anticipating Jameer Gibbs being the starter. I know that's saying a lot, but I think they'll have to 
bring Jace and Roy Dell along slower, but I still think as the season goes on, Jameer Gibbs and Jace McClellan are going to be quite a, 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 a duo because I still think, William, I know the wide receiver injuries happened in the postseason, but the biggest injury offensively during the season last year was Jace McClellan, who was just coming into his own before going down against Ole Miss. Yeah, and I mean, I was just sitting here thinking, I mean, you know, you, you, you would hate to see him take away, um, you know, shots for Bryce, but I, I guess it's not out of, uh, you know, depending on the quality of the offensive line in 2022. Um, that's, that's, to me, is the, the biggest question of the spring. Um, but, you know, realistically, you could have Will Anderson, Bryce Young, and Gibbs all be, you know, top 10 Heisman candidates. And that's, that's saying a lot right there, uh, no doubt about it. And you brought up something interesting, though, in the start of your conversation when we started the show, and that's the opposite tackle spots. I think they have the talent, and now they'll have another year of experience on the interior. I still think I like Seth McLaughlin uh, over there in Dalcourt at center, though Dalcourt could also um, – you know, compete at the at one of the guards when he gets back in the fall. But, I mean, you got a year out of J.B. and Cohen at left guard. Then you got Emil Echior two years at right. So the tackles are going to be huge. What I'm hearing is that uh, J.C. Latham is trying to assert himself at right tackle and was with the ones yesterday, uh, along with Damian George at right guard. McLaughlin was at center. Cohen was at left guard. And then the left tackle was Amari Kite. This is a huge spring for him to try to become a factor because, as you mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, all the intel I'm hearing, and we'll find, I'll get your take on it, is that I'm expecting Tyler Steen, the Vanderbilt transfer with 30-plus starts in the SEC in three years, to choose Alabama. I've been told by someone, a very good source, that he told Bryce Young he was coming. And if he does uh, choose the Tide, William, I still think he's the favorite to ultimately be that left tackle. Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when you watch his film, and the only film that I watched was against Georgia last year because I wanted to see him, you know, against the best possible competition. You know, I wasn't going to get to see a whole lot, you know, watching him play MTSU. Right. But, um, you know, he did, he did pretty good. I mean, he, he held his own and, you know, against Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith and, um, you know, it certainly wasn't a dominant performance, but, you know, it's kind of difficult to do against Georgia. Um, so, you know, I think once you surround him, you know, with a better quality, you know, lineman next to him and in a better offense, because, you know, Vanderbilt's offense was an absolute shit show last year. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of production you can get out of him. Um and, you know, we'll have to wait and see, you know, is Amari, if Amari Kite is still, um, you know, the starting left tackle um, on Monday after next Saturday's scrimmage, then, you know, more than likely that's who your starter is going to be coming out of spring. And, you know, Steen will have to, you know, compete with Kite for the job in fall camp. So either way, I mean, you know, regardless, I'm certainly I don't think the coaching staff is going to blow a scholarship on somebody that they don't think has a chance to you know, compete for a starting job. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. I mean, that all off season, that offensive lines, you know, been, been juggled up and mixed around. And, you know, obviously you got the guys that aren't 
available for spring. Um, you know, I think this spring is, is big for McLaughlin. Um, you know, he, he, he had such a great end of the season last year, and hopefully he can carry it over into spring camp and, you know, nail that job down for, for next fall. Um, but it's just certainly the, you know, it's not the only question mark, but certainly the, the 2022 offensive line is the biggest question mark. Well, let me ask you a question because you played in uh, offensive line at the University of Alabama. You played beside one of the best centers in Alabama history in Toby Shields. Uh, now, of course, Toby was 250 pounds when he played. McLaughlin probably last year, I'd say 275. But you watched this Alabama offensive line the whole season. What did he bring to the table to, to, where the offensive line seemed to function better that Darian Dalcourt didn't in your mind? Well, I mean, how was it? A, it seemed to be a better fit when he was in the pivot. And if, if so, why was that? Um, you know, I think he's a high motor, high effort guy. Um, and I'm trying to say that doesn't equal that he's not talented. Um, right. He is. But, you know, he's got a nasty streak. Um, you, you know, all you got to do is go back and watch the way he, you know, being damn near 100 pounds outmanned, you know, going up against Jordan Davis. Um, you know, he, he just, you know, he fought. And, uh, you know, he kept fighting. Same thing when he came in and, uh, versus Auburn. And uh, I, I agree with you. I thought the continuity and the communication was better um, once he was in there. And, and, you know, now that he's got some, you know, some good game experience, um, you know, it should help his confidence. And, uh, you know, I thought the long snaps were better. Um, you know, the shotgun snaps were more more consistent when he was in there. And, uh, you know, they just got to – I'm like you. I think, you know, the the I think from left guard to right tackle is going to be settled, so to speak, um, you know, whether it's Damian George or Ike or once Ike or gets back healthy. But I think that's going to be settled going into fall camp. You know, and I think you're just going to have to put a big circle, red circle around that left tackle position. That's going to be the, you know, the, the key to whether this is a repeat of last year or they take a step up. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. And I know Kendall Randolph is competing at the tackle spots. I still think his ultimate home is as that blocking tight end, which would be the third straight year for him to have a prominent role like that. You've got Cameron Latou back at the position who has gotten better every year. I don't, I, you know, I know there's people that have criticized him, and he had some drops last year. I certainly criticized that, but I also know this. He, he never played tight end until he got to Alabama, and I think he's gotten better each and every year at the position. If he can shore up the drops, he's never going to be a dominant blocker, but he gives effort, uh, unlike the guy that's now at Texas that I would have helped move myself, uh, Jaleel Billingsley. And so uh, I, I like Latou there. I, I like Robbie Utes. I know you do too, William. Uh, I, I saw him catch a pass on the scrimmage highlights. Uh, he's now healthy. Hopefully he can be a bigger factor. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts, though, uh, to, to wrap up kind of the offensive line conversation. I know you talk to a lot of people in football. Uh, you study the game. Uh, there's, there's a lot of positive buzz with Eric Wolford coming over from Kentucky to be the offensive line coach. I've already gotten some intel from people that have spoken to players that they, I don't know if they ever really took to Doug Marone. They seem to really be taking to this guy. What's the buzz you're hearing about, you know, Eric Wolford joining the coaching staff? 
Well, I mean, I think you're already seeing, um, you know, some benefits of it with the, the relationship that he had with, with Tyler Steen, um, <laughs> you know, when he was at Kentucky. Yeah. Um, I think that's been a, you know, a, a big positive for Alabama in, in, in trying to, you know, get him to become a grad transfer. But, you know, I think the the number one thing is, you know, he's kind of old school, you know, he's, he, he likes physicality and, you know, nastiness and, um, you know, every recruiting story that you read about an offensive lineman that he's recruiting and they, they all, they all seem like they've, you know, kind of taken to him and bonded well and stuff. And, and there again, you know, I, I don't really know what the problem was last year. I mean, I know a lot of people just want to, you know, write it off on Doug Marone, but you right. know, I, I'm not, I'm not willing, I'm not saying that he isn't culpable in some of it, but I just don't think the, the average fan has just sat down and compared what a drop off. I, I don't give a damn what the star rankings say. Right. Right. But you, you sit down and look at the drop off in talent from 1920 to the 21 season. It was major, major. And um, so, and there again, as we sit there and we discuss all this, I think, you know, Doug Marone, I mean, um, Bill O'Brien finished third or fourth in the country in scoring offense, had an all-SEC running back in the Heisman Trophy at quarterback. So, um, and, and, you know, and, and he did all that in a down year on the offensive line. So, you know, we just have to wait and see. I mean, I think that um, – I would like to see some stability, um, you know, at that position. It seems like every couple years, I, I bet you there isn't a recruiting class since 2000 and, well, since Mario left. Right. Um, you know, that's come in their first year and, you know, left their last year with the same O-line coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just seems to be a revolving door. Um, it would be nice to see some, some, you know, continuity there for three or four years. Well, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to say, no, no, I was finished. No, no. With, with Wolford, the thing that, uh, that excites me is he's already been a head coach at, you know, at a good, at a good FCS program. And that's, uh, Youngstown state for a few years. He's, I don't think he's a dude that's going to be an offensive coordinator, so to speak. I think he's comfortable being an offensive line coach. He has been for the last several years at South Carolina and at Kentucky. Uh, if I, if Nick Saban continues to grind, then I don't th- see any reason why he wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if they did get th- at least three or four years out of Wolford. That's another thing. Him being a little bit of an older guy, I think he's an offensive line coach at the, at the core. And so I agree with you. Hopefully this was going to provide some stability for Alabama and I think he's going to recruit well. They're certainly in on some big-time offensive linemen, especially at the tackle spot, and we'll talk more about that, uh, you know, as the weeks go by and we, we're talking about summer camps and things of that nature. But, again, it's so early in recruiting. Now, of course, it, it was a big weekend in recruiting, though, because Arch Manning was on campus uh, along with, you know, uh, several other great players, uh, including Caleb Downs, who – is one of the best safeties in the country. Uh, so they had multiple five-star. Shaz Preston, one of the signees, was there with Arch. Of course, he won't be there until the summer, along with Isaiah Bond. Uh, but, uh, and they're going to add their you know talents to the wide receiver room. But 
it does look like, William, when you factor in uh, how the recruiting class is kind of developing and evolving, uh, to me, that Arch Manning, Eli Holstein from Zachary, Louisiana, the, re- the uh, recent decommitment, uh, you know, for, uh, for, for uh, the Texas A&M Aggies, and, uh, for, and they also had another big-time quarterback in, even though I don't think, you know, that he's going to, uh, you know, be the guy that they ultimately signed, because I'll be honest with you, I just don't think that, uh, that it's going to come down to, uh, you know, get past Arch Manning or Eli Holstein, but Alabama always does a great job of covering their bases, uh, no doubt about it. But I think when you look at it and you see who all made it in, Dylan Lonergan, I wanted to make sure I said that correctly, uh, from uh, Snellville, Georgia, and Brookwood High School, he was in as well. But I just can't believe it's going to go past Arch or Eli Holstein. So it looks like Alabama is positioning itself strongly to add another high-caliber five-star level quarterback to the class. Well, let me tell you something. Based on a conversation that I had with a source over the weekend, right? if Alabama signs the Holstein kid, and I'm not just talking about the kid, I'm talking about the father even more so. Yeah. Y'all better buckle up because it's going to be some spicy reading on the internet about their shenanigans. And I'll just leave it at that. So he's got one of those, I'll just use a term from one of our good mutual friends that everybody knows uh, that's very familiar in college football. I'll just, he sounds like a quarterback father that Lance Thompson might have run into at one time or another. One of those caliber kind of guys. Oh, a lot worse. Oh, wow. Worse. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say, let's just say if he doesn't like what you say about his son, he threatens to whip your damn ass right there on the sideline. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. wow. And 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 the son is not really considered a locker room favorite either. So, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how they. I mean, I, I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you if 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 Nick Saban signs off on this and invites this this show into town, it's gonna be a fun and quick ride, in my opinion. Because when he doesn't beat out Ty Simpson in year one or Jalen Milrow. They go. They go hit the portal real quick, like. Well, and I'll say that's a good segue there. I've heard some good things about how both those guys, you know, performed yesterday. Of course, you know who Bryce Young is. We already know how good he is. He's the Heisman Trophy winner. But it's an interesting battle right there. Uh, Jalen Milrow, basically a redshirt freshman, played a little bit last year. Uh, you know, I, I lose track of whether if he of the redshirt or the sophomore, if he's a redshirt or a sophomore, because. He got some time, but I still think he probably got his red shirt. And uh, yeah, I he, think he did. I think he did, Drew. Yeah, I don't think he he, he got went past the four game threshold, but he 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 did showcase electric athletic ability. The big you know thing has been being more consistent as a passer. And then Ty Simpson is so gifted, uh, even for a first scrimmage. I heard good things out of him. Uh, and, and as, as we all know, he wasn't surrounded by the starters, but again, he did some things with his mobility and being able to move this, some of the backups. So I'm anxious to kind of see how that backup role plays itself out. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I think the, the, the most important thing, you know, from Milrose development was, you know, he needed to become a more polished passer. 
and um you know he he was a when when things started breaking down in front of him in high school obviously with his athleticism and speed i mean he was a run first guy so you know he's got to work on you know keeping his eyes down the field and, and trying to make plays with his arm versus his you know go to which are his feet and simpson has you know got to exercise the the mac jones itis um out of his psyche you know he's such a you know, just like Mac had to do. You know, he's such a perfectionist in the way that he goes about his business on every day. Um, you know, he's got to be able to realize there's going to be mistakes. And, and I thought, you know, in a good teaching moment, um, you know, Bill O'Brien kind of summed it up to him, you know, real, real easy to understand and, and, you know, digest. He said, you see number nine over there? <laughs> um, he won the Heisman Trophy last year. And there hasn't been a day that he's come out to practice since I've been here that he hasn't made mistakes. So there it is. Um, but, you know, I think both, uh, both of those guys, you know, that are competing for the QB2 spot or, you know, haven't they had good off seasons or having good springs, you know, really, you know, drew the, you know, the only two question marks I've really got about this team is left tackle and trying to find somebody close to, to being as disruptive as Barmore and Fredarian Mathis were the last couple of years at defensive tackle. Yeah, I mean that and that and I, that's another good segue too, because one of the names I was giving yesterday, William, and you may have heard the same thing or you may have heard some different ones, but I heard Jamil Burroughs flashed and he's another guy that I've seen in limited playing time. We've seen him do some things, especially against Southern Miss last year. He's already a junior uh, in, uh, you know, from McEachern, Georgia, uh, McEachern High School, excuse me, in Georgia, uh, in Atlanta. And he, he, he's someone, someone I'd be tracking closely. And in the scrimmage highlights, I saw Tim Keenan make a big stop, and he redshirted uh, from Ramsey last year. And then I'm sure you saw the or heard about the, the tweets from Jaheim Otis saying he's already dropped 46 pounds. And, you know, he's also doing really well academically in his first semester. William, based on what I heard about him being even 370 and 380 pounds at Alabama's camp, he moves like a guy much smaller than that. And if he can get down and the way he's doing and get to around 330 pounds, this dude may be a wrecking ball. And all that said, we already know that the two top interior guys right now are DJ Dale and Tim Smith. But it sounds like with, you know, Tim Keenan, uh, with uh, Jaheim Otis, and then hopefully with a guy that's got a little bit of experience in Jamil Burroughs, maybe there are some guys stepping up that can help, uh, you know, withstand the loss of a guy that I still don't think gets enough credit for his last two years and the way he played, helping Alabama win a national title and nearly repeat, uh, you know, in Federian Mathis. Yeah, and, and, you know, for people that don't understand how the – you know, the pass rushing game works, you know, Fidarian Mathis um, the last two years and, you know, to a certain extent, Barmore before him, you know, th they're the reason why those edge rushers, um, you know, can do so well, because if you've got a guy in obvious passing situations, um, you know, like a Quinn Williams, you know, that you can line up in a three technique or a one technique over the guard, you know, that leaves that tackle out there to deal with Dallas Turner and Will Anderson by himself. And, you know, the edge guys are, are responsible for collapsing the pocket from the outside in 
and the defensive guys, the, t- the defensive tackles are responsible for collapsing the depth of the pocket. You know, the edge guys, the width of it, the the defensive tackles, the depth of it. And so if you've got that, the, the width being condensed down and the quarterback doesn't have any place to step up to, that makes that little game within a game that much easier for the defensive line. Um, that pocket's getting collapsed on a regular basis. So, uh, it's good to hear that there's, you know, some new names out there. I already, you know, taken a special liking to the to the Otis kid. He seems to really have his head screwed on straight and going about his business every day the way he needs to. And, um, you know, if he keeps that up, that's going to have a pretty happy ending for him here in a couple of years. Yeah, no doubt. I think he can be a stud, um, uh, a guy that has more than just ability to, to stop the run and be a two-down guy. He may be a Deron Payne and, you know, that – and we remember Duran was not in great shape when he came out of Shades Valley, but transformed his body and became a stalwart and a first-round pick and a freshman All-American. With him. I don't know that Jaheim Otis will play that big a role this year. We'll see. Hopefully, D.J. Dale is going to be another year healthier. Uh, you know, he's had a lot of knee problems. He's had two patella tendons repaired uh, during his time at Alabama. And, of course, as we, as we know, Tim Smith has shown flashes himself of being a really, really good player. So uh, I'm excited. I, I want to see, and I'm also excited about John Marion Latham. I want to see if he, uh, no relation to J.C. Latham, but that he can maybe assert himself and become part of this rotation. But certainly, uh, as you said, it's good to hear that guys are stepping up. And, you know, uh, another uh, position, weak side linebacker. Uh, haven't heard a lot of scrimmage buzz about how that worked out. Uh, you know, I, I, I've seen some practice footage where it looks like Deontay Lawson is uh, doing very well in drill work, but that's not the scrimmages or a real game. But certainly that battle between him and Jalen Moody is going to be an interesting one. I still like Lawson to win the job because I think he's younger and more talented. But we all know that Moody's a good player and he's uh, he's he's an outstanding insurance policy to have because he can play both the mic and the will. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of other young guys. I mean, obviously, those are the the two top names that are competing to start opposite of Toa Toa, but, you know, Alabama has tremendous depth at both the Mike and the Will spot, so um, need to get those other guys some, some good quality weight put on them and, you know, get them pressed. Speaking of quality weight, man, when you see those pictures from J.C. Latham, that guy's done a number on himself um, since last fall. Yeah, I mean that, and that's exciting to hear. See, that's what a lot of people don't understand. They, I, I get kind of frustrated because there's people doing it with with Tommy Brockermeyer too, who's been thrown into the into the Wolves this summer, or excuse me, this spring. Pardon me. I hear he's running second behind Kite at left tackle. But with some of these guys, I know, and you already mentioned earlier in our show about star rankings. They they see a five star and they they just assume the kid is ready. They assume he's healthy, and they assume because you're a five-star, you're supposed to play early as a freshman, if not start, and then be off to the NFL. Sometimes these kids take longer to develop. I still love Brockermeyer's, uh, you know, uh, bloodlines, and he missed his whole junior season hurt, did not play at all. And then when I think he got to Alabama, he wasn't completely healthy, and his brother wasn't either. So for me, I think, and it really goes for both Brockermeyer brothers, I think it's more about the end than the beginning of their journey. I think you need to let them develop as players. 
And I just think it's it's way too early to write a guy off uh, as saying that he's a bust or he's Tyler Love or whatever you want to say, because Tyler Love was a five-star who never played a lot at Alabama, still got his degree, still was a part of the program, uh, still certainly uh, helped Alabama win championships. Even if he wasn't a starting player, he certainly was on the football team. But again, I just think, you know, I, I sometimes get frustrated with that. And a guy like Damian George, because I think Damian George was playing out of position. I think he's a guard, not a tackle. And he certainly probably won't start this year. But, you know, maybe down the line, maybe 2023, he's a starter. But, again, I just think especially along the offensive line, that's more developmental than almost any position on the football team. Well, I I think the average fan, all they did was see that, you know, number two offensive tackle in the country behind J.C. Latham, you know, guaranteed first-round draft pick, blah, 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 blah. He had a lot of issues that he had to overcome. Um, the biggest one in my book was playing in that godforsaken private school football league in Texas that he did. I mean, it's a yeah. huge, huge jump in competition um, when you go from something like that to, to the SEC. You know, he was he was undersized, understrength. Um, he was more of a, a leaner versus a bender. And, uh, you know, I, I, do, do I think one day that he has a chance to be a first-round draft pick? Maybe. Um, but they certainly did a disservice to the kid, um, you know, with all the you – know, there's a big difference in J.C. Latham being the number one offensive tackle prospect playing at IMG and Tommy Brockemeyer being number two coming out of what he came out of. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, sometimes it, competition and the jump it, it, and the speed of the game can be a huge adjustment. There's no doubt about it. And you're right. Uh, that private school league he played in, both the Brocker Myers, wasn't considered nearly as strong as some in Texas. Like, especially, I'll give an example. We mentioned him earlier in the show, but Jamarian Miller, the freshman running back, he played against much better competition in high school than the Brocker Myers. And Jason yeah, Clellan. Yeah, and you know, I think a byproduct of this as well that's not not Tommy Brockermeyer's fault is, you know, after the the steady stream of, you know, Cam Robinson, then Jonah Williams, then Jedrick Wills, then Evan Neal. Um, you know, that's not the norm. Um, those are those those guys are all freaking freaks that could play maybe all five positions, maybe subtract Cam Rob and uh um uh, Neil from the center spot, but th those guys don't grow on trees. Alabama was just lucky to go through about a six or a seven year stretch where they were getting guys like that. And, um, you know, this is not out of the ordinary, the, the process that Tommy Brockermeyer is having to go through to get on the field. I mean, that's, that used to be the norm, whether you were a five-star offensive lineman or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, most of those guys, most of those guys, you know, 20, 25, 30 years ago came out of high school, you know, so undersized and, and under strength, you know, they had to be redshirted for a year and, uh, you know, just to get them big enough and strong enough. Well, I'll just bring up your journey because at John Carroll Catholic High School, you were a linebacker and tight end and uh, developed into an offensive guard. <laughs> That's funny that you say that. The, uh, uh, well, I guess I can call him a for former recruiting person um, who's now since retired. He had me rated a 
And it just, it just and it bugged, it bugged the hell out of me. And I was like, man, come on, just, you know, you've seen the tape. You know I'm a five-star. He goes, I can't do it, William. Everybody knows they're moving you to offensive guard. You only weigh 240 pounds. Yeah, there you go. Talking about development, they, and uh, there was a lot of it there. I wanted to bring Thomas Watts into the conversation. Thomas, uh, I know uh, we it's been a while since we've uh, spoken, and uh, we haven't really uh, uh, broken down spring much until today. We've been kind of going over some positions that we feel like are huge for this football team, and uh, offensive tackle being the, the number one. Williams already, you know, uh, also brought up the fact that uh, the depth at the running back position needing to be developed. Also, uh, replacing Fedarian Mathis along that defensive line. We've talked about weak side linebacker as well. Uh, what are some of the storylines that you, you're following very closely uh, when it comes to – or what intrigued you about this team? So, let, let's set the stage a little bit. Uh, at the end of last year, I said, should Alabama beat Georgia? That's a, st- that's a steal. Uh, if they ended up not doing that, rock on. But the reason I said it was a steal is because this team looked like the team, given Will Anderson, Bryce Young, etc. And I, I haven't seen anything to, to, to you know, turn my brain off of that notion. To me, Drew, the offensive line was the big thing. Uh, you haven't really touched on the wide receivers yet. Allen right. needs to find a couple. That that's yes. the thing. But but having said that, with the transferring of Jermaine Burton, there was I personally have some faith that the wide receiver group will take a step forward. Also, uh, you're gonna help have to help me out with the name, Drew. Kendrick Law. Yeah, Kendrick Law, yeah, from Shreveport, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think that's a guy that can have can make a positive contribution to this upcoming football team. So I'm not that worried about wide receiver based on what I'm hearing. And here's the thing here's the thing about defense. Did Alabama lose some guys? Yes, absolutely. A couple corners gone, um, Christian uh, Harris gone, Harris. excuse me. Yeah. Thank you. So, so they're, they're pieces to be replaced, and, and as William said, the one that needs that I want to know about is Fidarian Mathis because Fidarian Mathis made Will Anderson the player that he was in a lot of ways. But as we're having these discussions, there are a lot of players that you've brought up that can flash on the defense. Do I think that this upcoming Alabama defense is as good as, say, last year's Georgia defense? Not really, but at the same time, the thing that drove me crazy about the Georgia defense was they're an elite unit, and they deserve credit for being an elite unit. But similar to the 2011 Alabama defense, they were an elite unit that were made to look more elite because they chewed up, I mean, really chewed up some truly awful offensive football teams. So I don't feel like that's a fair measuring stick anyway. So from where I'm looking at it, Drew, my big storylines were wide receivers and injuries. And I made the comment off air, and I'll just share it with our listeners. I haven't heard of any injuries, and it seems Mm -hmm. like there are pieces competing. And the third component was leadership, which 
if I talked about leadership one more time this past season, I think my head would explode. He would be he would have a producerless band of radio at this point. And even Nick Saban said, we've got guys. There are no negatives in the locker room. That's a big deal coming out of spring. So, you know, obviously spring has a couple more weeks, eight days, the 16th. But if, if you could freeze the Alabama spring right now and say, it looks like there are some young wide receivers that are stepping up, plus Jermaine Burton, the transfer. Uh, it looks like the offensive line is coming together in a positive way, and that's without Evan Neal, who may be the first overall pick, depending on the shenanigans of the NFL draft. And the defensive folks that Alabama lost, there are legitimate replacements that are coming along. I'd be great. Like, we could stop spring football right now, and I'd be happy. So as I sit here and we're having this discussion, I'm still – on the train to say that should Alabama not win a national title this upcoming season, it'll be considered a disappointment. And really, to me, the question becomes, why wouldn't they? And the best answer I have is injuries. Let, let's not, you know, let's not mince words. Will Anderson gets hurt, this defense radically changes. Bryce Young gets hurt, this offense radically changes. But you know, assuming health, nothing that I have heard through the first 10-ish or 17-ish days of spring has made me change any of my perception that, you know, Alabama should be playing for the national title and should be an odds-on favorite come January of next year, Drew. Well, good stuff from Thomas. And I'll just say this, it's a good segue. And William can add uh, some things as well here, but you spoke of wide receivers and the names I was given yesterday. And I had been hearing that he had practiced well, really throughout the spring is Bryce Young's uh, roommate, Treshawn Holden. And uh, with Slade Bolden going on to the NFL, of course, uh, Jamison Williams with his all American season. And then John Mechie with his uh, two really good years back to back. They're all going to the NFL. Uh, he Holden is the, uh, modest, and I say modest because his stats were the leader in the clubhouse for production coming back from the room. Uh, but he he is uh, taking advantage. I think he's had a good spring. He's going to play a lot. I think going into his junior year, uh, and then the, and then of course Jermaine Burton. I've heard has looked good uh, coming over from Georgia, where he was underutilized because Georgia cannot develop wide receivers. They develop tight ends, or at least they signed a freak like Bowers. Uh, and then they feature him in the offense, and they feature running backs. They don't feature prominently wide receivers. So, uh, you know, I think he, he he knows that he can be developed at Alabama. He's done a nice job thus far. And the two freshmen I was given, you mentioned one of them, Thomas, Kendrick Law from Shreveport, and the other one, and he made a few big plays yesterday, and the one I'm really excited about, he's number 82 right now, Law being 83, but 82, Aaron Anderson, from Edna Carr High School in New Orleans, has done an outstanding job thus far, made some big plays, and is making a big push uh, to uh, to assert himself. Now, I know the one everybody wants to ask about, the uh, you know, as a Jai Hall. From what I understand, he had not been practicing this spring due to, once again, being in the doghouse, but he did make his first appearance this week. Uh, he practiced well, did a nice job, but as is not surprising, as has been his entire career thus far, he's having to dig out from under a hole 
And when you have Aaron Anderson, when you have a Kendrick Law, when you have Shaz Preston coming, uh, you know, on the way, when you have uh, an Isaiah Bond with his freakish speed, it'll be here in the summer. He better get his ass in gear or he is not going to be on the field because JoJo Earl has also made physical strides. I think he made some plays yesterday as well. So there's a lot of competition at this wide receiver position, not not to mention uh, a guy like Tyu Jones-Bell, who I had kind of written off as a transfer. He stuck it out, and he's got some speed as well. So, uh, you know, Ajay Hall, I'll make a prediction. He's either going to make these last couple of weeks memorable for himself and push for a role, or he will be in the transfer portal. And then, you know, I know, uh, William, we've talked about this many times. I, Alabama – if they get Tyler Steen, as we anticipate tomorrow, that, that from what I'm told, that will leave one scholarship available. And they will certainly use it in the transfer portal. And if a certain wide receiver from LSU goes into said portal, I would be, quite frankly, surprised if he's not in Tuscaloosa, and that's being Keyshawn Butte. Hey, he can't, he can't transfer, Drew. The, the expiration date was February the 1st in, inside the SEC. Well, see, I'm, that's, I know I heard that. I've heard that. But I'm, what I'm told is is that he might try to appeal that. And so I don't know that that's completely a done deal. That's why I mentioned it. Well, and, I, I, I think it's past time for everybody to quit worrying about him. His grades are so bad, I'm not sure he could transfer if he wanted to. Now, I knew that I, I think that's why he couldn't transfer before the spring. I understand that, yeah. Right, right. I mean, the best thing for him might be to do is, is, is take the Jamar Chase route and just sit his senior year out. I mean – He's he's got enough good film where he doesn't have anything left to prove. Um, and, and also going back to uh, Hall, you know, I think the listeners need to understand that you know he's not out there robbing banks or knocking over liquor stores. No, he's not doing anything that's that's going to get him kicked off the team. But the things that he are that he is doing is going to keep him from getting playing time. Right. And and I agree with Drew. Um, he's going to end up reaching a, a frustration point where he's going to convince himself that he needs a fresh start somewhere else and hitting the transfer portal, especially if he comes out of spring practice buried down the depth chart, in my opinion. Well, it's almost to me, it seems like a Deron Carter type situation because Deron kept doing enough stuff. Oh God, that's a blast from the past. Yeah. I mean, and I know he drove Jeremy Pruitt to the brink of insanity because Pruitt thought he was a first round pick and he probably was. But he, it, it's kind of like the the story that Barrett Jones told about told you know that when Nick Saban went to the leadership council council and said, well, what do you want me to do with Deron Carter? And he said, well, coach, you know how you always tell us that one blinking light can mess up an entire uh, 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 you know Christmas, Christmas light display. Yeah, it can, it can mess it up the whole thing. He goes, well, this guy's not a blinking light; he's a strobe light, and he needs to get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I, I would. Yeah, I, I would compare a Jai Hall to the shenanigans that Drake Kirkpatrick pulled um, his first season in Tuscaloosa, and, and you know, Saban talked about it a lot. But I, once Dre realized that Nick was not going to break down until he started doing things his way and play him, you know, he, he straightened up and you know became a first round draft pick. Yeah, he did, and I know I do remember hearing that. He came probably further than anyone by the time he was a junior and earning the coach's trust. And he played a long time in the NFL. I mean, this guy got yep. 10 years in. Mm-hmm. 
and now we're all getting so damn old. He's got a son named after himself that's already in our school. So, that <laughs> <laughs> Gadsden City as well. So we'll see him in a year or two uh, signing with the school of his choice. It sounds like, but again, that that's some great points there. And uh, you know, I I, I I I from what I hear, I'm like Thomas. I haven't heard of any injuries. I think it was a good scrimmage yesterday. I'm anxious to, to – we'll have a lot more intel next week from the Red Elephant Club scrimmage. And then, of course, uh, the MA Club, because the A Club and the Red Elephant Club, I think that's next week. So there will be some buzz coming out of that. And then, of course, we'll be able to see the scaled-down version of A-Day uh, on the 16th. But, I'll, you know, it's going to be a really interesting spring. And I think this team has a chance to really be strong and not have a lot of weaknesses – uh, we've already talked about Jameer Gibbs and the impact he's made. I've heard nothing but good things about Burton. Thomas mentioned him at wide receiver. And then I think Elijah Ricks is definitely, along with Kool-Aid McKintry, going to lock down those corner slots. Kyrie Jackson can be that third corner that they need. I think they've got the answers to that test. And then you've got Jordan Battleback, Brian Branch, hopefully a healthy Malachi Moore, or you know, and, and hopefully Malachi learned a lot too. I think he got humbled a little bit last year when he struggled some, because uh, sometimes when you become a freshman All-American and people are gunning for you, things are a struggle as a sophomore. Hopefully he'll reassert himself, but certainly a lot of experience, though, that you should be able to count on. So the secondary should be, I think, one of the better ones potentially in the SEC and college football with these guys returning. And then when since you had to throw Kyrie Jackson and Kool-Aid into the fire last year, I still like their chances to develop into good players. Uh, and even a guy like Terry and Arnold, I'm anxious to see if he's trying to create a role for himself after uh, having to redshirt. I know that was a little frustrating for him, but there were some good players in front of him, and there that's, still are. So I, I that's, think that's he, that's yeah. a couple guys for you to watch next Saturday, Drew. Is yeah, I, I've heard some good reports on both Terry on Arnold and uh, the Fagans kid at safety. Yeah, t- yeah, yeah. Traquan Fagans, he's a uh, freshman from Thompson High School, early enrollee. So. We'll watch for him as well. And then to wrap up basketball, I know Thomas mentioned that. Frustrating end for Alabama. Uh, you know, lost their last four games. And then just cherry on top of the Sunday of a tough season. You lose in the first three minutes, Javon Quinterly, the, the straw that stirs the drink. On, obviously, when he's playing well, your best player, he tears his ACL. Uh, probably going to move on to the pro level anyway as a 24-year-old. So, very tough to see his career in that way. His brother uh, has already, uh, Jaden Quinterly, has already gone into the transfer portal. He's a walk-on at Alabama. Uh, so I, they're, they're, I would imagine he, his brother's going to move on. JQ probably going to move on. And then we had some breaking news coming in. To one of the reasons why tonight we, we, uh, we started recording a little later, I was following this. Jaden Shackelford is now going to declare for the NBA and sign with an agent. He will not be back. I've been asked many times since the season ended, okay, Drew, you know, what's the roster going to look like? Well, he was my wild card. I really didn't have him coming back. I thought he would probably move on. I think J.D. Davidson is going to move on in the coming days and declare for the draft and stay in. Uh, So the guard uh, groom is going to be a a lot different. Uh, You know, certainly uh, they've got uh, Jaden Bradley coming in, the number one point guard in the country from IMG Academy, who, has got a slight toe injury, so he didn't play in the uh, McDonald's game. He won't play in the Jordan Classic. But they've got Brandon Miller, the uh, the, the five-star wing, coming in as well. 
Uh, and then they've got, uh, you know, another really good guard who's in the slam, the National High School Slam Dunk Contest, Rylan Griffin from Richardson, Texas. So they've got some good guards coming in that are four- and five-star level uh, perimeter players, but they're going to be very young. That's why I think they're going to attack the transfer portal. I would watch Mark Sears from the University of Ohio, who went to the portal in the MAC. He's originally from Muscle Shoals here in North Alabama, had three good years there before uh, and really four because he was on the varsity as an eighth grader. He left to go to Hargrave Military Academy and then ended up signing with uh, Ohio. He averaged nearly 20 points a game in the MAC last year. Alabama is very interested in him. They've already brought in, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jalen Llewellyn uh, from uh, Princeton, also on a visit. He's a 15-point-per-game score from our top 100 recruit. Uh, and, and then I don't know if he'll go into the portal. I would watch Colby Jones. Uh, from Xavier, who is a former Mountain Brook star, who if he went into the portal, I think Alabama would be very interested in him. So I think Alabama is going to retool. I think they're going to bring in as many as eight new guys. Uh, I've been asked this about the returnees. I think it'll probably be guys. Uh, I, I still think Jawan Gary will return, Darius Miles, uh, Charles Bediaco, Namari Burnett, who missed the season, you know, with an ACL. He would have been a huge part of the of the team as a guard that can shoot the three really well and defend on the perimeter. But I think uh, that those, I definitely think those four guys, you know, are going to return. Uh, no doubt about it. I think they, I, 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 I know that there, there was some thought that Juson Holt might, but I was not surprised to see him go into the portal or Keon Ambrose Hilton, or of course, uh, you know, Alex Chiku. I did not think any of those guys would return because they did not play much. They did not seem to be, you know, in the plans very much for Alabama. But I just think, you know, when you look at it, I think they'll they'll return probably five guys to the squad, uh, and then they're going to retool. And I think uh, that's just going to be the norm in college basketball when you have to retool two-thirds of your roster due to the transfer rules and the draft. I still think they have a chance to be more talented and longer, better defensively, because the biggest problem this year with the group is they didn't have the length or the athleticism that they needed on the defensive end of the floor uh, or the effort at times, but they were just limited in some spots. Uh, they were good offensively, but, you know, I know people complained about the three-point shooting at times, but really they were a pretty good offensive team, but they were a poor rebounding team at times because of the effort, and they were not a good defensive team. I think Nate Oates understands that. They played the toughest schedule in the country and still got a six seed. Certainly you weren't happy with going home in the first round, but Back-to-back -back NCAA tournaments are huge. Uh, there's no doubt about it. So I think when you look at Alabama basketball and what they could potentially look like going into next year, I would still be super excited. And you have to remember, Auburn, they had a great year this year, won the SEC, uh, but they had a losing record the year before and had to retool in the portal. So if you get the right pieces, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind uh, that, uh, that Alabama can be a good basketball team. And remember Noah Gurley has already stated that he was going to return for a sixth year. He's not, he's not a great player. He, he, he's a, you know, a graduate transfer from Furman, but he's a role player. And what I've tried to explain to people is they're going to have a great five-man recruiting class coming in. I've already mentioned Brandon Miller. I've already mentioned, uh, you know, Jaden Bradley. I've already mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Ryland Griffin, but they've got Nick Pringle and Noah Clowney as well. But you're going to, with those young guys, you got to have some experienced players coming back to show them the ropes. And so that's why I think five guys potentially could return on the roster and you add three in the transfer portal. Uh, and there are going to be dudes in the portal going in every day 
then I think Alabama can still be a really good basketball team. Uh, you just have to define roles, and that's what's going to be up to Nate Oates and his coaching staff. But again, I still think it was a step in the right direction to make back-to-back NCAA tournaments. And for everybody to be so upset with how the, se- the season ended, it shows how far Nate Oates has brought the program in three years because when he took it over, they had lost to Norfolk State in the first round of the NIT. And so the talent level has gone up exponentially. I think Nate Oates is still considered one of the rising stars in coaching. And so if I were an Alabama fan, I would be super excited you know, about uh, the direction of the program still. So uh, we're going to be – we'll uh, continue to update you on the roster movement. We may have some more news on that by the time we talk to you next week and wrap up scrimmage number two. But we've had a great show. And, uh, William, is there any closing thoughts that you've got uh, on this edition of BAMS Radio Talking Spring Practice? No, I just, you know, hoping the, the you know team continues to say, you know, on this – non-injury healthy pass that they've been on path that they've been on so far through spring and you know get out of the you know the second scrimmage and and you know start gearing things down for the a-day game and and you know get on to the the summer conditioning program but it seems to be a you know really positive and upbeat um you know spring practice right now you can tell how excited and happy coach Saban is and it's usually not the case at this stage in the year yeah that's that's true but a lot of optimism and Alabama, uh, you know, continuing to roll on. And it's, it's just hard to believe, you know, uh, with Nick Coach Saban and what he's been able to accomplish at Alabama. Uh, you know, it, it, the consistency of the program is so good. And so, you know, uh, I mean, and we, and we almost take it for granted at times. But, I mean, he's headed toward his 16th season at Alabama. That's hard to believe already. Uh, year 16. and. Uh, he, he, a lot of people didn't think he would stay here, uh, especially uh, non-Alabama fans. They thought he would be two, three, four, five years max, and he's going to finish his career at the capstone. And that he's already put in so much time and, and and still going strong at 70 years old. Everybody is an Alabama fan, so just feel blessed. But I think uh, I'm, you know, looking forward to hit what we hear next week in scrimmage two and see how you know the quarterback room behind. Bryce Young is developing, how these wide receivers are developing this offensive line. And like we said, we may have some big news to talk about next week with Tyler Steen. And uh, we'll see. We'll continue to monitor the recruiting situation, what comes out of the Arch Manning visit, and how this recruiting class in 2023 is going to continue to evolve. But for everybody, uh, we want to thank you for listening to BAMS Radio. We're back once again going strong. We appreciate all the support. We know we've got a lot of loyal listeners. Uh, but for William Redfish Barger and for Thomas the Wizard Watts, I'm Drew Armand, and good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week, and roll tide.